The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. How wonderful to worship with you this morning. And now we turn from our praises and our prayers to study God's Word together. I want you to join me in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. We've been studying it together most of the year. We took a little time off in the early part of the summer. And now we've come back to it again. If I had to pick a key verse out of the whole book, I would pick 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. In verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, We exhorted each one of you, we encouraged you, and we charged you. Listen to those three things. Exhorted, encouraged, charged you to do what? To walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and into his glory. Uh, If... uh, if all there was from God, if, if, if the only deal that he made mankind, if the, only, if the only thing that he would do for you is to provide you the forgiveness of sins, and then, then that there was nothing else for us except that we would get to go to heaven when we die, I would still take that deal every day, wouldn't you? I mean, that'd be, that's a pretty good deal, to have your sins forgiven and heaven when you die. But God does so much more than that. Jesus said, I came that you might have life. He was talking about eternal life. And I came that you might have this life here on earth abundantly, that you might enjoy it, that you might have the joy of the Lord, that you might have the passion that God sets in our souls. And so uh, 1 Thessalonians is written to this church in Thessalonica 2,000 years ago, but inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, it's written for us today. And we are invited into God's kingdom, and listen to this, and to share in his glory. That should amaze you. That should astonish you. To say that Jesus went to the cross to forgive me of my sins, we kind of get accustomed to that, although we shouldn't. To to think that heaven can be my eternal home, we, we even get accustomed to that, and we shouldn't. That's great. But then you are invited into his kingdom and to share in his glory. So when we get to the end of the book of 1 Thessalonians, he's talking about the kingdom, the coming kingdom and the day of the Lord. And I really began this last week. This morning is part two of the same sermon because they, they're really just two paragraphs that are found together. Last week, we looked at chapter four, beginning in verse 13. I know some of you weren't here last week and some of you have had a long week. You don't even remember your own middle name right now. It was a tough week for you. So let's just do this very quickly. We'll do it very short order. Chapter 4, verse 13. Here's just some of the parts of this. As the uh, Apostle Paul began to answer questions that the, uh, the church at Thessalonica had about the coming of the Lord. And so he says in verse 13, first of all, you don't have to be ignorant about this. There are so many Christians go like, oh, there's so much. Revelation is so hard to understand. No one can know it. You can know it. Uh, God says, I don't want you to be uninformed about the coming of the Lord. Now, you you got to do a little work. You can't, it's, it's not something you just uh, put the Bible under your pillow, sleep on it at night, wake up the next morning with all the knowledge. 
You got to do some work. There's Daniel, there's Ezekiel, there's Revelation. There's passages like this in 1 Thessalonians. But he doesn't want us to be uninformed. Also in verse 13, he doesn't want us to grieve as those who have no hope. Um, this has been a, uh, uh, out of, out of uh, 40, almost 40 years of ministry, uh, I, I've done and will do more funerals in about 14 days here than I've ever done in any 14-day stretch. Uh, tomorrow, I'll officiate my fourth funeral in 11 days. Our sister Ann Cosell has gone to be with the Lord. Ann's been a part of this congregation for almost 30 years. Uh, she loved Jesus. Tomorrow, we're going to celebrate at 11 right here at the church. Um, we're going to celebrate that. Uh, our sister Barbara Ingram passed last night. So probably that funeral will be sometime this week as well. Um, Pastor uh, Steve Fowler, Pastor Bill did a funeral before I started this stretch. We're at six funerals. Do you know what happens when you go to lots of funerals? You begin to recognize significant differences between those who grieve like they have no hope and those who know that their loved one is in the arms of Jesus. Those are two different experiences. Those are, those are two different kinds of funerals. To say that they're both funerals isn't even, a, isn't even a good representation of that. One is a celebration. One is a graduation. The other is a complete and total loss. So in verse 13, as we read about the second coming of Christ, the Apostle Paul says, I, I want you to not, he said, I don't want you to be uninformed and I don't want you to grieve like those who have no hope. In verse 14, we discover something else. He says, if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, he says, you should also believe that he's going to come again. What Paul does here is he puts two different doctrines for us and he places them together so that we understand that they are all the same stuff. They're made of the same stuff. If you believe that Jesus came the first time, if he came and lived a perfect life and he went to the cross and died for us and he rose again, then you have to, if you believe that the word of God teaches that, if you believe he came the first time, you are forced to believe he's going to come the second time. And there's no way in the world that you're going to believe he came the second time and he didn't come the first time. They go together for us. And so the idea, and every now and then I'll meet a believer who goes, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died for my sins. But all the stuff about him coming back again, I don't know that I believe that. The Bible teaches both of them together. They're laced together. And here we find that in verse 14. We also find in verse 15 that this teaching that the Apostle Paul is teaching here is by the word of the Lord. This wasn't something that the apostles made up after the ascension of Jesus. This is from God himself, from the Lord Jesus himself. I'll show you a couple of those passages before the morning's over. And then we discover that this passage here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is about the rapture. There's two clues here. Uh, one is that we will be caught up to meet him in the clouds. That is, Jesus won't come to set his foot on the planet but we'll, be, we'll meet him in the clouds. And the second is the phrase, the, uh, translated in the English, caught up. Uh, translated in the Latin, rapturo, 
from where we get the word rapture. We'll be, we'll be raptured up. And so we find all of this in chapter 4. It brings us into chapter 5. So those of you who weren't here last week, that's your summary. Here we go, right in the middle of it. Now chapter 5, verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need for me to write anything to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So uh, this is true of every, uh, every pastor, every Bible teacher, everywhere, in every church, in every country in the world. Uh, true in Thessalonica 2,000 years ago, true today. So when you start teaching the second coming of Christ and the rapture, the first thing everybody wants to know is, well, when is that? And it's true here as well. And so these these folks in Greece, they want to know, well, well when, when, when is it going to be? And so Paul reminds them about the times and the seasons that he can't answer that question for them because they remember that he taught them. They should be fully aware that the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. Now, the Apostle Paul is, of course, a... Uh, theological genius. He's, uh, he's one who was taught by the Lord himself. He's full of the Holy Spirit of God. He has the gifts of an apostle. Uh, but he's also a literary genius. If I was teaching this passage uh, to a, a college English class, what you discover here in chapter 5 is literary genius. The apostle Paul does something here for us, and I want you to see it. He says, the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. Do do you hear it? The day of the Lord, a thief in the night. And he's going to begin to contrast for us day and night. He's just going to build on it. He's going to amplify it. He's going to talk about children of the night. He's going to talk about children of the day. But, but, he's, but he's not just making this up in terms of poetry or, or just choosing a literary device. It has powerful meaning. Now, the day of the Lord is a Bible phrase that's used in the Old Testament and the New Testament, mostly in the Old Testament. The day of the Lord is a reference to all of the things that come at the end times. And it's, it's the whole period of time. The day of the Lord includes uh, the signs of the time, the rapture. It includes the first part of the tribulation, the abomination of desolation, the great tribulation, the second coming of Christ, the battle of Armageddon, the uh, millennial state, Satan being loosed for a short season, being put away to the bottomless pit forever, and the eternal state. It includes all of that, all of that is called the day of the Lord. And so whenever you read it, you're reading about maybe a certain part of it, but it's all referred to that. Here in First Thessalonians, we know exactly which part Paul is alluding to because of the phrase, meet the Lord in the air and caught up. So we know he's talking about rapture. And he says, this is the one part of the day of the Lord that nobody knows when it's going to happen. Once that happens, once uh, Magog uh, Gog attacks Israel, Ezekiel 38, 39, and the rapture happens, then Daniel's prophetic clock starts. The 69 weeks are complete. The 70th week starts, a seven-year period. And then we know things. 
We know exactly it's 1,260 days to the abomination of desolation. We know it's 1,260 days to the battle of Armageddon and return of Christ. So when, once that happens, we know exactly when everything's going to happen. So what's the one event that we don't know? The rapture of the church. That's why he says the day of the Lord. Now, this part he's talking about the rapture is like a thief in the night. So second coming, all of it together, all of that, that I just described together, any, any passage you read in that says the day of the Lord, it can be alluding to any part of that. But then he says he's going to come like a thief in the night. Hold your place there in 1 Thessalonians 5 and flip with me back to Luke chapter 12. We're going to come right back to 1 Thessalonians 5. I told you that um, what Paul is teaching here, what he declares in chapter 4, is that this came by the word of the Lord. So uh, the apostles didn't... Uh, They didn't just make up that Jesus is going to return, as so many have assumed. Jesus himself taught his own return. Luke chapter 12 is one of those passages. Have you you found it? Find with me verses 39 and 40. If you have a red-letter edition of the Bible, you'll see that almost the entirety of Luke 12 is in red print. It's Jesus speaking in verse 39. He says, but know this. So once again, like uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we don't have to be ignorant about these things. This is something that we can know. Jesus says, hey, I want you to know this. Know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, well, he wouldn't have left his house to be broken into. It's a short little parable. But on this occasion, Jesus tells us exactly what the application of the parable is. Verse 40. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Uh, Here, let's do this together. How many of you are so expect that the Lord will return today that you would sell your house, sell your car, sell your clothes, quit your job? Can I see your hand? Okay. So, you're not really expecting him to come today, right? So Luke chapter 12 says he's going to come on a day when you don't expect, like today. Do you get it? That's, what, that's kind of what happens to us. He, he, he didn't come last week, and he didn't come yesterday, and you don't really think he's going to come today. And if he doesn't, then pretty soon we start to live, even though we're believers, even though we're, we're Christians, We don't really expect him coming. And so he says that you and I shouldn't be like unbelievers who get caught surprised. We should expect his coming. Uh, Some of you have heard me say this before, but I I can never really get over it as I think about it. Have you ever thought about what it would have been like to be one of the disciples who was there when Jesus ascended back to heaven? So Jesus is talking and then you're looking at him, and then, now I don't want you to think about it as a Sunday school lesson. Think about it really happening. And then you're looking at him, and you're thinking, ever since the resurrection, Jesus is taller. And, and then all of a sudden you realize, no, he's not just taller. He's, and then you look down at his sandals, and they're like this high off the ground, right? Can you imagine this moment? You look, you look, you look, and then he's still going. It's, it's way past Michael Jordan moment. It's like he's, he's up, up. And you're, and you're looking at him, and you're looking at him, and the scripture says that they just watched until 
They couldn't see him anymore. And then two angels showed up and they said, they said, uh, you men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? And this is what they say, Acts chapter 1. This same Jesus, whom you've seen taken up into heaven, will come again. I think, I think those disciples expected him to come their entire lives. I think if you experienced that moment when Jesus was taken up, you would look for him to return all the time. I think every time they came out of a building and they stepped back outdoors, they probably looked up, don't you think? It would have changed who they were. And we know that from the way they write the New Testament, the letters of the New Testament. There is a, there's an excitement about it, a joy about it, a looking forward, an anticipation, an expectation that Jesus is going to return. So yes, he's going to return as a thief in the night. But you and I as believers, we should have a different look at this. Well, go with me back to 1 Thessalonians 5 again. The Apostle Paul now is going to take this, uh, this literary device that he's developed. The day of the Lord, coming like a thief in the night. He's going to build on that. And he's going, to, he's going to compare and contrast two groups of people. He's going to compare the children of the night to the children of the day. Here's how it reads, beginning in verse 3. I'm back in 1 Thessalonians 5. While people are saying there's peace and security... Sudden destruction will come upon them, like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you're children of the light. You're children of the day. We are not of the night. We are not of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, they sleep at night. Those who get drunk, they get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God isn't destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Really, he's talking about forever. Verse 11 finishes the passage. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing. So, two uh, very different descriptions of two very different kinds of people. First, uh, let's look at the children of the night. We have the children of the night compared to the children of the day. In this passage, don't you notice that there aren't 50 shades of gray? Not even one shade of gray? It's children of the night, children of the day. What about children of the night? Well, the first thing we see is that they are totally shocked at the Lord's return. They, they just really can't believe that it's happened. They're not looking for it. They don't think about it. They go through everyday life. They go through, they go through weeks, months, years. They don't think about the return of, of Christ. They think that if we think about it and talk about it, that we're kind of religious fanatics or we're kind of kooks, but they live a everyday here and now experience. And the here and now experience is, I got, I got my work, 
and my work provides my money, my money provides my mortgage and my, and my car and my insurance and to pay my bills, and we're going to try to save a little so we can go to Hawaii next year, and uh, we're going to eventually, we want to have kids, or we have kids, and we want them to go to college, or they've come back from college, and we really, really want them to move out, whatever part of that is. And it's all just whatever season of life they're in, and it's a total focus on the here and now. For God to intervene in history and come back, that'd be a shock. That's how the children of night are described here. Secondly, they're described as a people that live in spiritual stupor of unawareness and even selfishness. Um, I know this morning is a little more of a Bible study and a little less of a sermon, but I, I hope you'll follow along with your Bibles. Just flip over with me to Matthew chapter 24 for a second. I told you that I would show you a couple places where the Lord himself taught these things. So let me show you another one of those. Matthew chapter 24. Find verse 36. All, all of Matthew 24 is a passage where the disciples have said, Lord, explain to us the signs of the times. Explain to us uh, when these things will be. Uh, find verse 36. Matthew 24, 36. Jesus is speaking. Concerning that day. Now, he's talking about the day of the Lord. So it's still the same kind of imagery. Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Verse 37 says, For as were the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in those days, the days before the flood, the days before Noah, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware. Do you see the phrase? They, they completely unaware until the flood came and swept them all away so will it be with the coming of the Son of Man. Now, here's what I want you to notice uh, about the phrase there in Matthew 24. Uh, Eating and drinking and getting married are not sins. He didn't say they were murdering and stealing and corrupt and immoral. We know some things about the days of Noah. There There was tremendous sin at that time. But that's not what... The point that Jesus is making. The point is, they're just living for the here and now. Uh, we, what, what, what are you going to have for dinner tonight? What, what are you, you going to do for lunch when you get done here? Some of you, that's what you're thinking right now. What, what, what are we gonna, you're just thinking about here and now. You're not giving any thought to God's eternal kingdom purposes. That's how they're described back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So, two things we find here. Paul is right when he says, we have this by a word of the Lord. This comes from Jesus himself who said, I will return. And the second, it's a description of the children of night, that they, that they live in kind of a, an, an unawareness, a spiritual stupor, if you will. And then thirdly, the children of the night are described as those who their rejection of the Lord is met with sudden destruction. Uh, one more time. I, I won't move you around anymore after this. Uh, find with me Second Peter chapter 3. 
Once again, I know this morning is much more of a Bible study, but sometimes when you discuss things like this, I don't want you to think for one moment that I'm just sharing my own opinions. What a mistake that would be for me to do that and for you to think that. I want you to see, this is God's Word. We're just reading God's Word, and God's Word speaks for itself quite, quite plainly. Second uh, Peter chapter 3, we find this, this amplified, this sudden destruction, this sudden rejection. So let's start in verse 3. So Peter says, and once again, he's talking about the day of the Lord. He says, knowing this, first of all, isn't it interesting that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed. Jesus says in Matthew 4, know this. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days, mocking, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where's the promise of his coming? Ever since our fathers fell asleep, all the things in the whole planet continue as they were from the very beginning of creation. But they deliberately overlook this fact that all things haven't continued the same since the beginning of creation, that the heavens existed long ago when the earth was formed out of water and through water. By the way, and how was the earth formed? By natural selection? No, by the word of God. And that, by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged. It was destroyed with water and it perished. See, things haven't always existed as they now exist. Verse 7, by the same word, whose word? The word of God. By the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire. The promise of the rainbow to Noah and to all of us is that God would never destroy the world again by water. The promise wasn't that he would never destroy the world again. He's going to destroy the world again. But it won't be by water. It'll be by fire, Peter says. Right now, earth is being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. It's it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Uh, the, The logic of the scoffers is, okay, when you look all the way back through history, everybody said, God's gonna come back, God's gonna come back, and he never has, and so since he never has, he's not coming. That's their logic. Peter's logic is, as you look back through history, you can see the intervention of God if you look for it. Now, he only uses one illustration Noah, we could name several others, Tower of Babel, Noah, the dispersion of Israel so that they're no longer a country, the reintroduction of Israel in 48 so that they are a country again. There are all kinds of interventions of God in history, and the the logic doesn't make sense anyway. Because God hasn't come back, he's not going to come back? That's the logic? Think about this logic. God has never lied. He's fulfilled every promise. Jesus, God, said he's going to come back. So if he hasn't come back, we're closer to his return than we've ever been before. That's a better logic, isn't it? That's the difference between children of night and children of day. 
Back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I won't make you move around any more in the Bible. We'll do the rest of it right here. What do we discover right here in this chapter? Well, we discover some characteristics, or at least these should be characteristics, of those of us who are believers, those of us who are called the children of the day. Number one, we should not be surprised at the Lord's return. You and I, like the disciples who watched the ascension and now are thinking that that same Jesus is going to return, we should be thinking about it all the time. Last week I said this, the single biggest difference between believers who just are barely getting by, go ahead, go to worship, save yourselves, I don't think I can make it today, I can't get to church. The believers that really are like unbelievers, they're just going to the job to get the money and they're just grinding it out and there's no joy of the Lord. And believers who have a passion for Jesus, a passion for the gospel, have a joy of the Lord, that difference is looking for the second coming of Christ, believing that he could come at any time, believing that if he doesn't come and he calls me home, I want to finish well and I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Those are two different kinds of Christian experience. So we shouldn't be surprised. Secondly, we should live in a state of alert. We should be sober. We're, we're on duty, as it were. Now, three times in this passage, twice he uses the word sober. Once he talks about being drunk. Uh, look at it again. He says, uh, verse uh, 6, so then let us not sleep as the children of darkness do, as others do. Let us keep awake and, here's the first time, be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, that's the opposite of sober. Those who get drunk, they get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, now here's the second time he tells us, let us be sober. Now the passage is truly about the day of the Lord and the rapture of the church and how we should live in light of the fact that Jesus can return at any time. So when he says be alert, be sober, he's talking about be ready for that to return. But I'm, I'm just going to preach this just for a second here, all right? Twice. I mean, he uses for an illustration, don't be drunk, be sober. We live in a state that per capita leads the nation in alcohol-related traffic accidents and very high in alcohol-related traffic deaths. We lead, this, we lead the nation in DUIs. We're second in the nation in binge drinking and in alcohol-related suicides, we're also very, very high. Teenage drinking, extremely high in Montana. This is our culture. This is where we live. Don't you think that the children of day, of the day, should read passages like this? And even though he's talking metaphorically, shouldn't we just say to ourselves, isn't it time that we make a stand against this, which is ruining the lives of our family members and our neighbors and people all around us. And I know there's so many of you who say, you know what, I, I just have a beer every now and then, I have a glass of wine every now and then, it doesn't really affect me, I've got a handle on it. I, I'm even talking about you're supporting the industry that does this to our state. I'm not talking about Kansas or Texas or Tennessee, I'm talking about Montana. I'm talking about your neighbors your family members, we're in trouble. And shouldn't the children of day decide that since we're on duty, uh, when you watch cop movies, 
There's always a, there's a scene uh, in certain kind of cop movies where the bad guy gets the good cop. And he's going to try to corrupt his morals. You know, the, like the mafia guys invites him up. He's going to bribe him to you know, quit being the good cop. And he comes in and he goes, hey, can I pour you a drink? And the, and the cop goes, no, I'm on duty. You and I, as believers, we're on duty. Jesus says, work while it's day. Because the night is coming when you can't work any longer. The gospel that we need to share with our friends and neighbors, when Jesus returns, it's all done then. It's all over then. This is the time for us farmers, you'll love this great analogy, to make hay. It's that time of year, isn't it? This is what we do. I want you to to think about that in light of these things. Well, how does the passage end? The last characteristic for the children of day is that our faith, love, and hope will be rewarded with salvation. Verse 8, Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith, love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Here's the most incredible thing. Um, What many Christians do is they start to study the second coming of Christ, and then the first thing they do is find another believer to argue with about all the things that they believe differently. You know, well, I believe it's going to be pre-tribulational. I believe it's going to be mid-tribulational. I believe it's going to be post-tribulational. I believe it's going to be pre-millennial. I believe it's going to be... That's not the purpose of this passage. The purpose of the passage, as you read it, is that we might know this so that we would live out faith, hope, and love. This little, this little set of triplets, faith, hope, and love, will appear all through the New Testament. Remember, 1 Thessalonians is the first thing written in the New Testament. And here it is. And here it is in conjunction with a discussion of the second coming. So the purpose of you studying the rapture isn't so that you can be smarter than your other friends and out-argue them. The purpose is so that you might realize Jesus may return today. And if he's going to return today, what things matter? He tells us what matters. Faith, hope, and love. And then here's the application, two parts of it. The passage was given to us for two reasons. Verse 11, that we might encourage one another and that we might build up one another. So we are to be encouraged in our faith. I hope this morning in some small token, some small fashion, you are encouraged in your faith. And we are to build one another up. We live in a world where everybody's trying to tear everybody down. Christians should be the opposite. People don't need, uh, sometimes people say, well, I'm just being the devil's advocate. Well, he's got enough advocates. He doesn't need any more. Don't do that. We don't need someone being the devil's advocate. We don't need someone tearing us down. What people need in this world is someone building them up. Think of the people that you know in your life who are powerful, positive encouragers. I bet you can name all of them on one hand. Isn't it time that the children of the day become those people who other people love it when we're around? Because we do what? We encourage them and build them up. And we point them to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Author of our faith, creation. Finisher of our faith, this creator, who is our Savior, will come again and receive us 
unto himself. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. This morning, I wonder, has God spoken to you? Maybe you're here this morning, and as you were listening, uh, and as I was reading the scriptures out loud, you began to realize, I, I don't think I'm a child of the day. Maybe there's never been a time and a place when you've given your life to Christ. You've never asked for the forgiveness of sins. You've never given your life to Jesus. It could be today. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. I want you to know this, that since Jesus hasn't come back yet, you can be saved. You can be saved right now. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you'll ask him to come into your life and forgive you of your sins, he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Won't you do that? You can say, oh, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to put it off a day or two or three. Then what happens if Jesus returns? then it's too late for you. But today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Won't you say yes to Jesus? Most of you in this room have already done that. Most of you in this room have already given your life to Christ. But is it possible that even though you're a child of the day, you've been living like a child of the night? You're just thinking about the job and the money and the here and the now, and you've gone weeks, months, and you haven't even thought about the return of Christ. And isn't it time that you begin to be a different person? So this morning, I want to ask you, have you heard the voice of God? Has he spoken to you? And will you be obedient to him? Father, you know every heart here this morning. You know everything about us. And so we ask you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to speak to us individually. I I pray, Father, you would speak to each person here as if there was only one person here. And that by your Holy Spirit, by your love, by your affection demonstrated on the cross whereby you gave yourself for our sins, that you would send your Holy Spirit into our lives and we would live different lives, not just for the here and now, but looking forward to that blessed hope, the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would live with love and faith and hope. And if you'll do this in our lives, we promise to give you all the praise and all the glory. For we pray it in the one and only most precious name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. Are there really only two experiences, children of the darkness and children of the day? Are there, is there not any gray at all? Um, the latest suicide statistics were just released for the United States. Uh, suicides have gone up 30% since 2009. Uh, the, the media would have us think that those suicides are uh, uh, soldiers with uh, post-traumatic uh, disorder and uh, seniors who would like assisted suicide who are struggling with health issues. But that's not what the statistics revealed. The highest group uh, for suicides with a 45% increase were those ages 41 to 64. Do you know what it suggests, what we know about it? Uh, Sharon Spade, 55 years old, fashion designer, committed suicide a month ago. Uh, many of you watched Travel Channel with uh, uh, Bardot, who traveled all around the world, just committed suicide, uh, well-known. These fit that age group. Do you, do you know what it really reflects? Like Solomon, as he wrote Ecclesiastes, these are people who have had everything else in life. 
they, they've had the American dream. They went to college. They got their degree. They found love. They got married. They uh, had a successful business. They made some money. They paid off the mortgage, got the kids through school, been to Hawaii a couple times. They've got some toys. They got a boat. They got four-wheelers. They got a camper. But they have no purpose. They have no purpose in life because they don't know the Lord. That's compared to children of the day. Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 14, describes our experience. The Apostle Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Who, filled with the fullness of God, knowing the height and breadth and depth of the love of Jesus, would take their life? Two different experiences. One thinking about the return of Christ, the love of God, and living that, and another missing the very purpose for which they are created. Today, as you go, I want you to go with these things in mind to be the follower of Christ that he calls you to be. Have a great day. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.